chapter 3, we are in, um, and we will be only looking at two verses today. We'll be looking at verses 21, 22, well actually, and the part of another, another one. If you're visiting us for the first time, I want to welcome you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to know how much of a privilege it is that we together have the ability to hear our Father, Son, and Spirit, our triune God, speak to us. So before I get started, I want to ask you a question. So when you and I live our lives and troubles come, difficulties, problems happen, how do you know that you are loved? How can you be sure? Well, the passage today that we're going to look at is going to show us that God is a faithful God. That our God promised Jesus Christ. And he sent his son Jesus who perfectly pleased God in all that he did so that the Father would pour out the Spirit upon him to enable him to do the ministry of reconciliation. Now, before I get started and read this passage, I want to do a history of redemption. Now you're like, oh my goodness. I'm going to go from the beginning of time until our passage. And I'm going to try to not take all day to do that. So, if I want to sum it all up, the history is God created Adam and Eve, rebelled against God. God sent a promise. He re-upped that promise in a sense and told it again to Abraham, Moses, David, the prophets, and then ultimately showed it in Jesus Christ. That's what I want to talk about. But sometimes, some people, we don't understand and know the history of what goes on. And so I can't assume that everybody in here knows the whole story of the Bible. So I talk about a dude like Abraham. You're like, who's he? Some of you may not know. So let me explain this a little bit. Essentially, God, the creator of all things, the reason that you have your life and your breath and everything that you are right now, made this world and everything in it. He placed a man and a woman in a garden. It was a beautiful place. And that garden was supposed to be for them to take as a, as a picture and push it out to the rest of the world, making the whole world a place that would look like that beautiful place that God made. But it wasn't quite that simple. You know, they were, of course, there to have children and to push the people and everything out. But God wanted something. He wanted to know that his people that he created would obey them without question. So he entered into what's called a covenant of works with Adam, where basically he required Adam to just eat of everything that was out there, and he wasn't allowed to eat of one simple tree that had fruit on it. He said, you can eat of everything, but not that thing. That was it. It sounds simple, doesn't it? Completely simple. But the problem was, is that God said, if you do eat of that tree, you will die. 
So what, did, what happened? Well, if you know the Bible story, Adam and Eve decided that they were the ones that would actually determine right and wrong. They didn't want God to tell them what was right and wrong. So they took and ate of the fruit, plunging this world into the misery that you and I experience every single day. Work, being hard. We talked about that. It was in the, in the prayer there, wasn't it? Food, not enough food. Well, at any rate, instead of killing them, God showed grace and mercy. And he said, I am going to, instead of punishing you for this, I am going to send a way that my justice, my righteousness will be fulfilled. I'm going to send a son, my son, an offspring of the woman, Eve. And so he promised an offspring that would bruise the head of the serpent who tempted them and would ultimately be wounded himself. And so that promise continued. There was this offspring that was going to come. And then that promise, we didn't really hear much of it until a man named Abraham, who actually wanted nothing to do with God. He was an idolater. He didn't like God. He wanted to serve his own God. And so that man, Abraham, was given a promise that through him, through his offspring, all the nations, all the earth would be blessed. And so the promise continued. And then it went on, and then eventually there was Moses who came. God's people were, were, that came through Abraham were sent to Egypt. They were there for 400 years. They were suffering, pain, difficulty, uh, in slavery, and then essentially what happened is God had Moses to come and deliver them and brought them out and then promised through Moses that one day a prophet would come who would be the one to redeem. And they said all these signs and sacrifices. You ever read the Bible and you're like, what in the world are all these animals getting their throats sliced and all of these strange things that are going on here. What's all this stuff about? You know what? It was for the people to look forward to see that God had to send a sacrifice to pay for sin. Well, time goes on. More time goes on. And then David comes. David the king, a man after God's own heart. And God gives him a promise that one day he would have a son and that son would rule over the entire world. And the whole world would be blessed through him. And then time goes on. Nothing. And then the prophets come and say, there's this servant who's going to come and he's going to suffer. And this servant who suffers is going to bring redemption and healing and rescue God's people. And then nothing happened for about 400 or so years. And then all of a sudden, the prophet who was promised by those previous prophets, John the Baptist shows up on the scene. And John the Baptist says, it's time. It's time, all those promises, it's here. The one who God promised, the serpent crusher, the seed who would bless the entire world, the king who would reign forever, he's here. He's now, it's, it's here. And this is where we are at in Luke, he says that this one is going to rule and to judge and to baptize with spirit and with fire. And so, 
John is baptizing people, telling them that they should repent and be ready for the kingdom of God. And so, all these people are baptized. And here's our verse, beginning in verse 21. This is the word of the Lord. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. The grass withers, the flower, it fades, but the word of our God is forever, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Father, we need your spirit, the spirit that came down and landed upon Christ and empowered him for ministry and mission, the same spirit who raised Jesus Christ from the dead, the one, that spirit, who Jesus now sends upon us to give us new birth, that spirit who empowers us for life and godliness, to die more and more to sin and to live to righteousness, that same spirit, I pray, would fall upon me now and allow me to preach only your words and to send out a message of hope in you, the God who keeps his word and promises and restores a lost and broken world to himself. Would you be glorified now through this preaching and would each and every one of us here in this room, including myself, worship during the time when we look at your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, these people were baptized. It says here, if you look at verse 21, it says that all the people were baptized. And it says, and when Jesus had also been baptized. Now, if you know the story of the Bible, you know that Jesus is perfect. He hasn't sinned. He hasn't done anything wrong. So why was Jesus baptized? Well, if you look here at, at this passage, you're going, we're going to see this, that Jesus is a man of prayer. This is our point number one. Jesus is a man of prayer and communion with his Father. And if you know this, that the fact that he was perfect, you'll say, okay, but the baptism of John was a baptism of repentance. Why did Jesus do it? Why did he repent? Did he repent? Okay, so I want to talk about this briefly. So there are three reasons I think that Jesus was baptized. The first one is actually found in verse 23 at the beginning. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age. I don't know if you know this, but the the priests, the Levites, could go and begin their service at 25 years of age. And then... Five years later, when they were 30, they, would then, they could then serve in the tabernacle, the temple, basically. And so what I think he's doing, because what, what why does Luke say about 30? Like, you're like, why does he throw that detail in? Why did you need to hear that? Well, I think it's because he's kind of saying he is officially going into the work of the ministry and like the priests who were anointed and had water over them to show that they were now participating in the priesthood, Jesus, he does that. But then in verse 22, you see that the people were being baptized and Jesus was also baptized. I think that what's happening there is he's identifying with the people of Israel. What he's doing is he's saying, I am an Israelite. I am representing Israel to this world. 
I'm representing Israel to God, and so I am going to repent for them. So Jesus actually repented, I believe, for the Israelites. It also showed the Israelites' union with Christ as Jesus was baptized. And then finally, in the last part of 22, when you see this in 22.2, it says that... um, and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form, and a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I'm well pleased. The third one, and I'm gonna get into this when we get a little deeper, is that Jesus is the king, and he, this was the anointing for his ministry from Psalm chapter two. This is what I believe is going on here. Now, I want to read briefly Matthew chapter three, and I've got it up on the slides, it should be the next slide there. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And it continues, if you don't mind advancing the slide, and behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Now, if you notice something, verse 21, it says Jesus had been baptized, but it also says and when he was praying. Do you notice that? Really subtle. If you're not paying attention to it, you're gonna miss it. Jesus was praying while he was being baptized. My guess is after he had the conversation with John, John said, I ain't baptizing you. And he said, oh no, you are. And then Jesus goes and gets, I'm assuming that he's beginning to pray to the Father. And my assumption here is he's actually praying for the Father to have what happens happen. I think he's praying to the Father that the Father would open the heavens and descend the Spirit upon him so that Jesus would be empowered to do all the work of ministry that you're gonna see in the next coming chapters. And so he's praying to the Father and he comes up out of the water And as soon as he comes up out of the water, it says the heaven was opened. So I want you to notice something, that the Father listened and responded to Jesus. Jesus' prayers were answered. You're gonna see this all throughout the book of Luke. Luke is like, and Jesus was praying all night, and the disciples, and then he picks them. And Jesus was praying, and all of a sudden, the disciples asked him. You're gonna see it all throughout the text of Luke. Because Luke believes that Jesus Christ was a man of prayer. He was actually the praying temple of God. And Luke wants you and I to know that you are praying temples now because you have the Spirit living in you. And he wants you and I to pray like Jesus did before everything we do for empowerment for your life. For when you get up, mom, and your kids are sick. Dad, when you are having to deal with all the struggles and difficulties when you come home and all of a sudden your wife tells you all of the things that the kid did wrong or you hear from the school or all of these different things and you come home and you're absolutely exhausted and all you want to do is scream and scream loud. And God gives you empowerment by the Spirit because the Spirit of the living God lives in you and you can say, empower me for this. I think that's what Luke is trying to teach us in Luke and Acts, is is that you have the Spirit of the living God in you, the Spirit of Christ, and you can pray to Him and expect that God will answer that prayer and give you the Spirit for life. And so the Father listed and responded and the heaven was opened in empowerment. Now, you might be looking at this, and I left this up intentionally just to, just to let you see it. You say, 
But that doesn't look like Luke chapter 3, verse 22. It says, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. You're like, well, wait a minute. How can we trust the Bible? Because, you know, Matthew says this and Luke says this. So what do we do with this? Well, I don't want to, like, not talk about that. Because you need to know this. Matthew, in his book, he's writing, and his point is not what Jesus heard. His point is for you to see who Jesus is. Matthew's point is simply saying, it is this one, this is the man, this is the Son of God, this is the one who the Father proclaims. Luke and Mark, who many believe Mark was using, Luke was using Mark as his source, Luke is getting the point at what is God saying to Jesus? What is Jesus hearing? Now you might say, well, why does that even matter? Well, Luke is looking at it from the prayer perspective, you see? Jesus is praying to the Father, and in response to his prayer, the Father responds. Can you see that? So it's a perspective thing. And in the, the conundrums of the gospel, by the way, when you look at the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and then John, and you're like, what's going on here? The conundrums of all the ways and all the differences between the texts are actually perspective. And we do this as people, don't we? I, I can guarantee you that the, today, that if you tried to recount the sermon, it would be different from each one of you, a different perspective. And you would be telling it to either say, that was a terrible sermon, and let me tell you why, or it was an amazing sermon, or it was so-so, or it was this, or it was that, and you would give your perspective on it. That's the point. The gospel writers were doing the same thing. Matthew was talking about Jesus as the fulfillment of all the prophecies. So of course he would say that this one, this one's the son. This one is the anointed one. But Luke is saying, no, no, this is about the inward life of Christ, about a life of prayer that needs to be pushed out into you, into me. So that's the perspective. And if you can't get past that perspective, we're going to have a lot of problems in the Gospels because you'll be, you'll be always trying to say, well, this. But here's my question to you. Why wouldn't the Gospels simply just, why wouldn't we just have one? If you want them to agree 100%, why wouldn't we just have one gospel? Because God needs to reveal the fullness of Christ. And what did John say? Didn't John say that if we took and wrote all of the things that God did, the heavens couldn't even record them. All the ink that was, if we used the sea, all the ink, and we used the sea as the ink for it, we could, we'd run out of ink to tell about all the things that Jesus did. And so we have to have a multi-perspective when we look at the life of Jesus Christ in order to enter into the fullness of who he is and what he's done. Second point. Point two, Jesus is the promised one. So the conclusion of previous thing is, is that Jesus is the man of God and he did everything that he was supposed to and he needed to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. So now we move to the promised one. If you look at verse 22, at the beginning of it, and it says that when he began his, uh, sorry, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. Genesis. I think it's in, if you could, yeah, there you go, you got it. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. 
Incidentally, just a small thing. Mark actually really brings it out in his gospel. Luke isn't, isn't focusing on this because he doesn't notice that Luke doesn't say that he re- the spirit rested upon Jesus. You notice that? You know what it says in Mark, he rested, or Matthew says that he rested upon Jesus. The spirit rested. Luke is like, I'm worried about prayer. I'm thinking about prayer. Matthew's like, no, 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 look. The spirit rested, empowered him for his whole work and ministry. And so Jesus is the new second Adam. The man that came that did everything right, that always obeyed, that when tempted, we're gonna see in a few sermons from now, when tempted, guess what he did? He did the right thing. He obeyed. This is the second Adam. This is like the new creation in a sense, right? Jesus wasn't created. But as a man, he's now showing that he's a second Adam and the spirit now is coming and resting upon him. And so what you see is Jesus is the new Adam. He's the promised offspring. But you might ask yourself a question. You ask this, might ask this question. Why did, does it say that the Holy Spirit came in bodily form like a dove? Like, what in the world? Like, I think of a little dove and a floating, hovering down, and you're like, why is that in there? I want you to understand something. Why the bodily form? Why a dove? And why does it matter? So ceremonially, ceremonially, sorry, ceremonially a dove was a pure sacrifice it could it was part of the system of sacrifices in the old testament it was also considered and it was suitable for sacrifice for poor people and it was also an emblem of purity in acts 1 to 2 okay Jesus here is getting a dove who's floating down and resting on him like a dove, gentle, peaceable, like Jesus, and he rests on him like perfect landing zone. A helicopter has a nice big helipad and it lands with that big H or whatever in the middle and it lands. And Acts 1 and 2 says, and the Spirit came upon God's people with tongues of fire. And you're like, fire coming down on my head, a dove on Jesus' head. Why? Because I need purified. I need the refiner's fire to purify me. I need the landing zone cleared before spirit can come on me. And so the spirit has to do that. But do you know what? The spirit of tongues, they rested on God's people as well. Do you know why? Because the spirit has to continually do his purification of us through the rest of our life. You will never need, you will never go a day when you don't need his purification because we sin every day in thought, in word, and in deed. And so... Jesus is the perfect landing zone. Christians need fire. They need continual purification. And they need empowerment for mission. So we also need empowerment for mission just like Jesus does. If you want to share the gospel with people, you need the Spirit of God in you. You need Him empowering you. Now, if you're a Christian, you have the Spirit of God. But you need His empowerment, enablement. Now, Philippians chapter 2, verses 13 says... And work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God at work in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure, his purpose. You see, that's what the Spirit does. He works, but I'm 
look, I'm looking at you and myself in a mirror today, and I'm saying, you have to work with the Spirit. Reading your Bible. Praying like Jesus did. Asking for the Spirit. Living for godliness and righteousness. God empowering you all through His Spirit. If you don't ask for that, if you don't do that, if you don't work at it, what do you think is going to happen? Is like magically you're just going to grow in holiness? It doesn't work that way. You have to work because you have the Spirit. He enables you to work, right? But it's not works righteousness. It's not like you work and God is pleased with you. Jesus does that for you. It's that you have to work with God because now God is in you, right? So that's important. I want us to see, though, this promised one, that Jesus is the prophet, the priest, and the king. He's the promised one. So Numbers 4, verse 3, the age of the priest, that's the, what I was talking about earlier. In Deuteronomy 18, and 15, 18 verse 15, it speaks of, uh, Moses said, and God will send a prophet like, basically like Moses, but better, who would come. Okay? Then in Isaiah 42, verses 1 to 4, there is, and I believe I have that there, thank you. Behold, listen to this. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. Does this sound familiar? Does this sound like this passage? The spirit my spirit, I'll put on him. The Father speaking about this one who will come and bring justice to the nations. The Spirit will rest upon him. In Isaiah 40 through 55, this whole section, it speaks of the suffering servant, the one who would take our sins and iniquity, who would be bruised for our sake, who would be crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement of the people would be upon him. And by his wounds, we would be healed. That whole suffering servant is connected here. God, Jesus is the servant. Now, Psalm 2, verse 7, I think it's in the slides. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today, I have begotten you. Does this sound familiar? Why does Luke use this? Because the father did say to the son, you are my son in whom I will please. This passage, Psalm 2, is an enthronement psalm written for David, possibly for, San, Saul, for, for his son um, and, and Solomon. And in it, though, there's a prophecy about the king who would reign forever. The king who would reign forever. And that king, the one who would reign forever, is the one who the father would declare to be the son. There is a connection here. Jesus is the priest, Numbers 4.3. Jesus is the prophet, Isaiah 42.1-4, and the suffering servant. And Jesus is the king, the son. So I want to talk briefly as I begin to wrap this up in Acts chapter 10. I, my favorite thing to do is to let Scripture interpret Scripture. You want to know what this passage means? Well... Let's turn to Acts chapter 10, beginning in verse 24. So in Acts 10, 24, you have the story of Peter. 
He is hanging out, chilling out at his house, spending some time in prayer, has a vision of this sheet of animals that comes down, and it's filled with a bunch of sea creatures and other things that Jews were not allowed to eat because of the ceremonial laws. And the Lord says to Peter, get up, kill, eat. And Peter's like, no way, dude. I ain't doing that. And God says, oh, no, you don't understand. You don't understand. You are. Get up. So then he gets done with that vision. He's wondering what in the world's going on there. And then a knock on the door right after he's done praying. And here are some Gentiles that say, hey, there's this guy named Cornelius. My son's named Cornelius, by the way. Um, there's this guy named Cornelius, and he's a really good guy, and he prays all the time, and he's a good guy. He helps the Jews. He's this wonderful man. And he was praying, and he... So, praying. It's inter interesting, right? Peter was praying. Cornelius was praying. Are you catching a the theme? It's all throughout Luke and Acts. He said, I was praying, and the angel came to me and said, go get you. So Peter's like, well, I guess I should go. So then Peter goes, shows up at Cornelius' door, and, and Peter's like, what's going on? And he's like, basically, Cornelius like, you tell me. I mean, the angel said for me to come, or you to come, and you're here. And so Peter goes, and he says, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, this is Cornelius, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who's called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear what you've been commanded by the Lord. Can you imagine this? I was like thinking of Peter. Like, okay, what am I supposed to say? So Peter opened his mouth by the Holy Spirit is was what the assumption is here. Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. Did you hear that? Why was Jesus empowered with the Spirit? To do his work ministry. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him, and after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Now you ready? You re ready for this one? Here's the connection. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard. And the believers from among the circumcised, the Jews who had come with Peter, were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even to 
the Gentiles. For they were hearing him speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. What's going on? What Luke is trying to tell us here is really simple. Jesus is the promised one who came, who had the power with the Holy Spirit and now has brought salvation to the world. And that salvation comes through Jesus Christ when he sends his Holy Spirit upon us, renewing our wills and our minds so that we can embrace Jesus Christ as he is freely offered to us in the gospel. And that goes to everyone. Everyone. And all these things can be summarized in this. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's covenant with his people that he would bless the nations through an offspring, which is Jesus. He's the promised one. So now I want to bring us all back to all that long introduction that I have. Isaiah eleven ten says that the shoot from Jesse, the lineage of David, would bring judgment and salvation for all the people. Second Samuel 7, I will be a father to him, a forever kingdom Jesus this will have. Genesis 49, 8 to 12, the scepter will not depart from the line of Judah. Genesis 12, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Can you see the connection? Jesus is the fulfillment who sends the Spirit to bless all the nations of the earth, which Cornelius is the first fruits of, of the Gentiles. This is the point. Jesus is the fulfillment of all God's promises. Every promise he made, Jesus fulfilled it. He lived, he died, he paid our sin, he rose again. And this gets back to that final thing in Genesis 3.15, the the. I will send one of your offspring who will bruise the head of the serpent and he will bruise your heel. The promise he made to Adam and Eve. The promise to Adam and Eve. The promise to Abraham. The promise to Moses. The promise to David. The promise to the prophets. The promises to you. All and every promise is yes and amen in Jesus Christ. He is the fulfillment of everything in the Bible. He is the one who brings blessing and salvation to the whole world. This is not just an obscure prophecy here. Because God the Father sends his Holy Spirit to rest upon Jesus, to anoint Jesus for the ministry of reconciliation, and he declares Jesus to be his beloved son, echoing Psalm 2-7, drawing out that Christ is the promised eternal king in the line of David. So how do we apply this? How do we apply this? Your faith is not based upon what you think the Bible says. Your faith is based upon the promises of God that are yes and amen in Christ. Your faith is not what saves you. Jesus Christ saves you. All you have to do is grab hold of him. And he saves you. Salvation is a man, not a method. Salvation is a man, not a method. 
And if you resign yourself to think that salvation is about a set of things, then you've missed it. So you can trust God because his promises to Adam and Eve, his promises to Abraham, his promises to Moses, his promise to David, his promise to the prophets, his promise to Mary, all of his promises are true. And all God is asking you to do is to not do what Adam and Eve did in the garden and decide in their own mind what is right and wrong. God's saying today to you, will you trust me. And so practically then, from this passage, there's just two, really three simple things. We have the Holy Spirit. But as I mentioned earlier, you need his empowerment. I need his empowerment today when we go home. When we have to try to put the kids down for a nap and they refuse. You, you need the Spirit. You, you can ask him, you know. You, you know you can say, Lord, I'm so frustrated. I just want to abandon the nap. I know my kid needs the nap, right? But, but, but I can't do it. Can you come and empower me to have patience and to help them? When you have to get up tomorrow morning and you're on a project that is terrible and miserable and you hate every bit of it, and all you've got is red tape to everything you're doing, when you're doing that, you can ask for the empowerment of the Spirit and say, I need help to be able to trust in God in this and I want to be a witness to my coworkers. I don't want to be complaining all the time. I don't want to be one of those miserable people. I should be filled with joy and I don't have any joy because I hate this project. I'm, I'm on a train heading for a brick wall and I know it and I can't get off the project. This is empowerment for the Spirit. The Spirit is not a thing. It's a per- he's a person. He lives in you. Now let him empower you by praying to the Father through it. And understand when Luke says in Luke 11 that if anybody asks for the Spirit, the Father will give the Spirit. So be in the place of a newly created person who rests on the Spirit. Are you tired of school, kids? Like you can't take it? You can't take the assignments. Like, didn't I spend enough time in school today and I have homework? What's wrong with these people? Like, don't they realize I'm a human being? Am I just a slave? Right? When you feel that way, kids, you need the Spirit of God. You can pray to God too. You don't have to ask your parents to pray. You, they should be praying for you. You pray. I, I have a bad attitude. I need your empowering presence to help me to do it right. I just want to cry right now because the assignment's too hard. Kids, only, I, don't, I don't talk to your parents. They don't tell me this. I had kids. They're all the same in different ways. I had kids who cried. Terrible, terrible, miserable. And the parents and the kids are struggling and they just want to do the homework or just can't you just do the homework and everybody's frustrated and the house is miserable and all night and all evening it's just a miserable time. You guys know if you've had kids. You need the Spirit. You have the Spirit. Ask for Him. Ask for Him. Ask for help. And Jesus wants you to work with that spirit. 
Jesus is the fulfiller of all God's promises. They're yes and amen. So now as you sit, and as I sit in this room, you realize it's almost 2,000 years, not quite. We're really close to about 2,000 years from when Jesus began his ministry. Probably 27, 28, 29 AD was when Jesus began his ministry, and we're in 2023. We're like four years away from 2,000 year anniversary of Jesus' ministry. Is that cool? I wanna do something when that happens. Like, I know we don't know the exact day, but I kinda wanna have an approximation celebration. We have been blessed in the offspring of Abraham, Jesus Christ, for we are part of the nations. You all, all of you are from different places, from Germany, from, from, from Asia, from, you know, from Europe, from Asia, from maybe some of you from Australia, I don't know. All the continents all over the world, you have, I'm sure we have so many people here. Jesus brought you all. He bought you all. And here we are, all with Jesus living inside of us, celebrating him today and worshiping him right now. That's what he did, Jesus, the Savior of the world. Father, we praise you and we exalt your name through Jesus Christ, empowered by the Spirit. Let us live in the light of the glory of your presence and grace. We delight in you and we thank you for all you are, for your love and your mercy, your kindness and favor. We praise you. We glorify you. Use us as instruments. Fill us with your spirit, each and every one I pray today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.